Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly roundup of the best of bailiwick sport. Today we'll be talking rowing with a record-breaking crew who've been setting new marks every time they've got into the boat this summer as they eye a long-standing best in the big Sark to Jersey. We'll also be paying tribute to two big names in local sport who've sadly died recently, squash great John Lelever and rowing legend Snip Geel. And as always, we'll bring you our highlights of the last seven days. I'm Tony Kerr, and with me to do all that is Rob Batiste. How do? And Gareth Leprevo. Hiya, Tony. Chaps, how's your week been? It certainly felt like Guernsey's been on uh, very, very good form the, the last few days, and particularly the bank holiday weekend. Yeah, it's been pretty busy. Um, certainly in terms of the weather, it's been very up and down as well. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed being out um, to watch two centuries this week in, in the evening league. That was um, uh, Luke Letissier on Tuesday night scoring 110 not out against Kobo. A fantastic innings that was. And G.H. Uh, Smith following in the next night in a very typical G.H. Smith innings, which just hit the ball very, very hard. But to be honest, I, I was... Um, it was perhaps more impressive watching Luke score his 100. Last summer, uh, Luke and myself had a bit of an ongoing joke during his purple patch that I would turn up one week and, saw him and see him score 100. And he never got to do it last year. He scored 89 one innings, 90 another, then 60, 60. And it was really through his own laxness that he sort of chucked away those um, chances but his innings against Kobo on on Tuesday was absolutely brilliant Um, he didn't give a chance he timed the ball so well and yeah he he just doesn't let the bowler settle because of his um, tendency to play reverse shots um, but also his ability to hit um, in other areas as well he just played really well I know the the Kobo boys in the field were, were full of praise for him afterwards as well. It was just a really high-quality innings. Well, it's great to see all these runs being scored at the KG5, but, you know, it seems to me the batting, the batsmen are getting all everything going for them these days. I mean, isn't it time we brought back the old Red Kings where they swing like swing like mad and make the game a bit more fairer? I might have to speak to the groundsmen to see what the captains want of the grass pitches later in the summer because um, the first round of the evening league matches in Division 1 are being played on the mat, and the outfield this is currently like lightning. So basically, if you beat a fielder, you've scored four. Um, so scoring pretty much eight and over is almost expected. I mean, Griffin scored 216. And to be honest, Kobo, for a little while, were threatening it. I mean, Josh Butler batted brilliantly as well. He scored 71 off 36 balls without really breaking too much of a sweat either. So... Um, uh, those scores are becoming commonplace now, and I think the seam bowlers and the spinners will want something out of the grass wicket when it comes to that later on in the summer. Yeah, bring back the Red Kings, I say. <laughs> the two-piece ones, yes. The two-piece Red Kings. Two-piece Red Kings, they would go like round corners, which the white ball doesn't seem to do quite as much. Even I managed to plunder a six at Portsmouth last night, so yeah. <laughs> I, d- I doubt if it was quite as big as some of GH's Not last quite. night. Not quite. I did let out a groan as it, as it came off the bat thinking it was going to force somewhere short somehow it crept over the boundary but uh, no that that Luke Letizia innings was absolutely fantastic uh, the way he plays those reverses it's so well he timed them to perfection didn't he the other night and uh, yeah it, it just seems to be such a reliable shot for him well it's, it, he actually said to you afterwards Tony on, on our little video clip we did that that his is sort of like offside scoring shot. He, he, I think he said he, he hasn't a cover drive in his life. But um, if, if, you know, the batsmen these days, they, they learn which shots are going to suit them and, and which ones are going to bring reward. And Luke just turns to that one very regularly. But usually it pays off. He certainly times it as well as anybody. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, on, on Tuesday night, he showed he can play shots all around the wicket. And he actually, I mean, perhaps it wasn't quite a cover drive. It was more of an extra cover drive he hit, but it was an absolute beauty as well. So I think he's um, done himself a disservice there, really. Yeah, and obviously it meant a lot. You know, you, you, we saw sort of exuberant celebrations at uh, reaching that 100 and, and uh, rightly so, deserve to enjoy it. Uh, Rob, uh, you've been at a couple of football matches this week, the FA Cup semi-finals. I'm still stuck on football mode. Um, <laughs> summer hasn't arrived for me yet, I'm afraid. I've got another week week or so of that to go um, really enjoyed the um, the feisty nature of the um, first Guernsey FA Cup semi-finals of this week um, Manza against the Martins at Northfield on Tuesday um, Manza were really really up for this potentially their final ever game on their own um, Saints left a couple of their um, better players out rested them ahead of this week's Jeremy final but it really was a cracker, and I, for all Tony Sarr, the ref, had to have eyes everywhere. It was tackles flying in left, right and centre. It's all very fair, most of it. There were, there were one or two juicy um, tackles which might have been punished a bit harsher by Tony. Um, but it was just, it, it was a really, really good game. 1-0 might not suggest that, but it was very, very, very tight. And good quality, good pace. Manza couldn't give it any more than they did. I've never seen the Manza side work so hard as they did the other night. Kazman was superb. Really, really was top, top, top dollar. Um, but Jamie Dodd gave a masterclass in defence. Um, terrific. It was good to see. No sign of indifference then as this epic season winds its way to a close? No, not really. Um, no, and we just hope we get a couple of good um, cup finals at the end um, of the season to put, put, it to, put it to bed finally. And you mentioned uh, the fact it was or looks like being Manza's final game. Of course, the um, the story we spoke about on the football pod at the start of the week, uh, this this uh, impending merger between Rangers and Manza, or certainly an amalgamation and integration of Manza into Rangers. What's the reaction been like to that? Is it is it look nailed on? I'm pretty sure it's nailed on. Um, I I sense there is a little bit of disquiet among some of the older um, Rangers. Um, players, um, St Andrews, who may be quite comfortable with what they've got. But from what I understand um, and what I've learned on the whole deal, it's um, it really does make sense that the um, this happens. Uh, Manza, uh, a relative, you know, a short-term operation, and, and they will be able to boost Rangers as a club in many, many ways going in the short term and. What I like about it, it doesn't really, it doesn't at all harm the Rangers brand at all. I mean, Rangers are a great old club, 128 years. They'd have been fools to give that away just for a short-term um, profit or, or a quick success, shall we say. Um, but that's not that's not the case. They just really are keen to lift the pathway and their standards um, far higher than they have been in the last 20 years. I mean, let's face it, I mean, these haven't been glorious years for Rangers um, these past um, two decades. Um, but I sense with what's planned and what the um, what the club have got are targeting, um, they could, could be some very successful years ahead. But they've got to make this move as far as I'm concerned. And just in terms of Manza, obviously, it, you know, what is it, about a decade they've been around. Um, so in the end, it's, it's proved a, a relatively short-lived stay in the Premier League. Do you think we'll see another, another side like them come up and, and, and be a part of Guernsey's top division? Quite possibly. I mean, you've got Rockin' Pirates, Pirates, for example, at St Peter's. Um, they play under the Sylvans banner, but they're going up into Lancaster 1 next season. I, you know, I don't think they're better get up into, into the top, top league. But I mean... No, I think it's quite possible for um, 
a team to emerge from, from the lower leagues and go all the way. Yeah, the, the, the thing is in modern football is that you get these instances of groups of friends coming together, um, some are more talented than others, and it's quite possible that we may well see that again, that, you know, this a, a nucleus of talented individuals want to play for themselves as opposed to an old club, and they go all the way. Right, well, that's it for part one of the pod. Coming up next, we'll be talking rowing. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to get every episode delivered straight to you. Uh, We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, Most places, in fact, you'll find podcasts and do give us a rating or a review if you can. Uh, Great to have you on board. Now, we're a few events into the local rowing season. As ever, it's been a battle as much against the conditions for the crews as each other. Uh, But one crew in particular is prevailing at the moment, and that is the Le Mans Saint Women's Quad. Liz Bozier, Hannah Gilbert, Christine Vivere and Georgia Denzelo with Cox Neil Brennan have set three new records already this summer and broken another one of their own to boot. Uh, with all rows leading to an attempt at a long-standing mark in the now-confirmed centrepiece of the season, the Sark to Jersey, uh, while Jamie Ingrill and I caught up with Liz and Neil to talk about their crew and their sport in general. And I began by asking how they reflect on those opening races. Actually, I think probably the first race was one of our strongest in the sense that we'd pro- it, was a f- it was a 5K short race and we'd been trading quite a lot over the, over the winter. Um, and so, yeah, I think probably time-wise, looking at other boats' times, I felt that that was probably one of our stronger yeah. races, maybe. I think we benefited oddly from lockdown because everybody was at home with their rowing machines. So we, we sort of had a, a rowing group online and we sort of rode together albeit remotely um so that was our social interaction for the week as well so i think we probably did we probably overrode over the winter so turned up the first race with um with sort of all guns blazing um and sort of course you know some, some people may not have trained as much over the winter but now they're catching up because you know they're, they're getting fitter because they're on the water i mean just give us a for, you know for, for people who don't know rowing um yeah, just tell us about your boat, your crew, um, you know, your other team members and, and, and kind of where you fit into the, the fleet as a whole and your, the sort of competition you face. We are, oddly, you're hearing a male voice, we are a ladies four, but I'm the cox, so I don't really count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's as, probably, as the, he's the most important. <laughs> um, but in, in rowing, you can have a male or female cox in any crew and it doesn't change the class. So it's, it's not unusual to see Olympians have uh, a male cox in a, in a ladies quad or a ladies eight um so we we have four ladies who are um well i would say uber fit and uber determined three of them are rugby players um, so they have that um that very disciplined attitude to training as does liz um and we we kind of i don't know we got together last year um sort of slowly together as we pulled people in as the season went on and it kind of morphed into its current existence um, over the last uh, 12 months. Um, I, I think two of us were not originally in the crew, but we sort of um, slid in under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how do you go about putting together a, a crew then? Is it, is it kind of cherry-picking people that you, 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 know, you want to you bring in? I think, um, well, the first thing was obviously getting... We got the Out of the Blue Boat, so we bought that, and it's a, it's a really good 
boat um and then it was a case of just yeah well not cherry picking but just maybe thinking about rowing with like-minded people I think that's probably the most important because you know if you're training hard you want to be in a boat with people that are also willing to train hard and have got you know that mentality they want to maybe go for records or win um so it was just a case of yeah finding people that that had that same mentality. And do you feel like you've really gelled, really clicked then going into this season? Yeah, I, th- I think we have. Um, you know, ev- every time we go out training, we work on one thing and it gets better and better, which is, you know, having done this for a number of years, it's a real surprise to me that how quickly they improve and how much they keep improving, even though they've been going together for over a year. It's, normally there's a, there's a glass ceiling, but they haven't come anywhere near that glass ceiling just yet. Um, so that's really, really re- rewarding for me anyway. Um, as, as the cocks. And we mentioned the records. I mean, is that the thing that's at the forefront of all your minds when you get into the boat or is it a happy byproduct of, of just doing, doing, you know, racing well and doing the things right? Um, I, think, I think we want to race well, first and foremost. We want to race against other boats because records are, are lovely, and, but they're very much a sort of a cherry on the cake. The conditions really dictate whether you're going to win a race or not, uh, win, break a record or not. It's, it's where we figure with, uh, against other boats and in our situation it's it's um, a lot of men's pairs you know the men's pairs is a really good class so we have a benchmark and we measure ourselves against them and if we can get close to them we're happy and if we can beat a few of them we're even happier (laughs) and as I say you you have started well looking at the race distances things uh, kind of look like they're going to step up a gear from this weekend with the around jetty race um, what do you say about about 12 kilometers yeah just under Um, and some big races to come as well which we'll come on to but do you feel as confident over over those slightly longer distances than you do in those the shorter ones yeah well I think especially for me I definitely prefer the longer distances Um, and I think possibly as a crew um, I think that longer distances are maybe what we've trained for especially over the winter so I think that that hopefully yeah so you could get even better well I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that (laughs) yeah no no, long long distances is where it's at for this well for most rowers the longer the race the better you know the shorter races kind of uh, favour guys who are who are very strong muscular strong strength whereas uh, it's like any endurance sports like marathon running or long distance you know cycling 100k it's that sort of sport where you want the length to really uh, show off what, what you've achieved in, in your winter's training yeah i also think as well we relax into it a little bit yeah. you know over a longer race i think sometimes when you're doing those short distance races it's all quite uh, not necessarily stressful, but you don't necessarily relax into a rhythm like you do on a longer way. And of course, the big news, the exciting news this week is that the big one looks like it's going to be on the schedule, the start to Jersey um, on the 10th of July. Yeah, I guess that is the main event of the summer. It always has been. What is so exciting about that? And, you know, is that put an extra spring in the step that it is going to be happening? For, for us, it does. Um, yes, because... We, we see an opportunity to to put in a, a decent time. You know, the current the current ladies' record is a, a very very good record. You know, if we got anywhere close to that, we'd be over the moon. Um, but it's you know, you, you, without the opportunities, we missed it last year with COVID. Um, so we're, we're just delighted that we can have a crack at it. Whether we'll beat it or not, who knows? But it's all down to so many variables. But um, at least if we turn up on the start line, we're in with with a shout. And Liz, what's your experience of the start to Jersey? Um, so I've probably done 
I think maybe like four or five and I've only done it once as a, a ladies quad which we did two years ago um, when we actually got the out of the blue boat we just borrowed it for a race um, it's so variable like Neil said the conditions just really um, make it or break it it can be super frustrating or or a great race um, but yeah I think it, it does come down to conditions on the day and if they are challenging and presumably you know that pretty soon into proceedings can that make it a real slog to finish yeah, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> you you get to the Paternosters and you think you're on, you see Jersey, Jersey's alongside you and you think, well, we're almost home, but you're nowhere near home. It's not <laughs> 9k to go, so you kind of, it's a false dawn. Yeah, I remember the two years ago, um, it was really rubbish conditions all the way to the Pats and I just kept thinking, oh, it's fine. Okay, when we get to the Pats and we turn around the Pats, it'll, you know, the tide will be with us, it'll get much easier and it just didn't. And it was just the whole way was a slog. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's probably been an hour, 20 minutes in before you get to the Pats, something like that. So you've done a fair amount of rowing in Canby Chop, Normally when you leave Jet to, you, you go, it's flat for about a kilometre and then it gets really messy for about another three kilometres. So you, it's kind of a rude introduction to the race. So obviously, Sark to Jersey, huge race, uh, 26 kilometres in distance. I think that's how you normally measure it, isn't it? Yeah, kilometres is easier because it depends who you talk to. If people say miles, you've no idea whether they're talking land miles or nautical miles. And you get caught out badly because there's a big difference between the two. <laughs> but in any case, yeah, um, all being well, it's going to be just over two hours of effort. Um, what's actually involved in terms of preparing yourself for such a like gruelling and lengthy event? Um, lots and lots of rowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to get to the to get to the nub, you need to do a lot of uh, long hours on the rowing machine in the winter. You need to do a lot of long hours in the boat before the race and leading up to it, you may got to make sure that you rested the week before. Um, it's it's so easy not to, to forget that you're about to walk into a marathon. Uh, I think also it's just that mental grittiness that you've got to have because, you know, when you're rowing, like say for an hour and 20 minutes towards the pats and it's just awful and you've got blisters forming on your hands, you've just got to be willing to just, you know keep going i think well yeah i do think that's it's it is a mind game as well yeah it's, it's absolutely mind like, game. like any race to be fair even yeah. if it's only rowing to herm you think well gosh it's that's a short race no it's not <laughs> because the tempo's higher and it, it's all relative you know you're, you're trying hard you're trying to sprint a 6k and um, and it's, it's it's the same level of pain as, as doing a 27k but just just in a different format um but no neil's actually he's an amazing cox in the sense that he gives us so much feedback that, and i think he knows now how to motivate us if he shouts down a few numbers that have decreased a little bit from what we want all of us i think then tend to buck our ideas up and try and get those numbers back up so i think the feedback is so important i think for us as a crew maybe not for other crews i don't know but for us as a crew we really respond to that feedback that he's giving us constantly and you know i don't know how he doesn't lose, well he does lose his voice but <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure how that's going to work over the whole 26 kilometers do you ever, do you ever get any swear words coming back your way <laughs> Um, no, there's, there's a few bottom lips come out every now and then. <laughs> uh, no, no, I think I think people are very keen to get feedback. It is interesting when we we do sort of we break we break training down into small bite-sized chunks, and if one of those chunks is not to people's satisfaction, 
you can see their reaction and the, the speed goes up. You know, they, they do react um, in, a, in, a, in a worrying way, really. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, just for you guys, what is it about rowing in the islands that, um, that's, that's so, so attractive? And I guess um, sort of attractively challenging as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just a sense of freedom that I get. I love like being able to just go out on the water in the evening after work um, and you kind of park it all and then you you know you go on the water and I, I do feel pretty free and it's fun it can be exhilarating it can be super frustrating sometimes but um, yeah it's, it's a great sport yeah it's uh, from a, a navigation point of view whether that's rowing or coxing it's it can be um, a real uh, mind game as to looking for the right piece of water to row in uh, without stacking it on a, on a getting a big lump of granite rash down the side of your boat um, it, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of thought goes into where we're going to go how we're going to do it where we're going to get around and um, how we get how we get into the tide or get out of the tide plus you know you end up going places that you can't see from the land that most people who you know, you can unless you go swimming, you'll never get anywhere near to these guys or these locations. Even you know, around the back of Jetu, you know, you often hear people coming up the slip talking about the dolphins they've seen or the puffins they've seen, um, which is a nice byproduct from um, from an endurance exercise. You get to um, you get to see, until, unless people stop rowing, which is really worrying in a race. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, dolphins! And everybody yeah, puts yeah. the oars down and starts looking around. You go, well, okay, this is really nice. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that record's uh, <laughs> been carried away by Flipper. Uh, yeah, 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 Flipper does dictate. I think I'm always shocked as well how far you can get. I think that's the beauty of it. You know, manpower. You can get so far. Um, so yeah, I think that's always. Yes. Yeah. But the this, the other race. You know, we talk about we talked about Sark to Jersey. But the other main event is the Gory Carteret, which is which is um, which is a completely different ball game to the South Jersey. Different tides, different the 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 sea is quite shallow going into it. It chops up, but then you see a lot of wildlife. Um, whether that's that's dolphins or just members of people in your boat, you know, it's, <laughs> there's all sorts going on. So it is there's there. Are, no two races are the same. It's like playing yeah. football on a moving football pitch. Actually, in respect of a gory de Cartre, I understand that was unfortunately cancelled this year. But is that another race where if you get the chance to compete in maybe next year, maybe in, off, in the next few years' time, you have any specific ambitions for that event? Ooh, that's, that's a big question. Um, that, that event is, is very much dictated by conditions more than any other event Um it is normally fairly brutal because it does chop up nine times out of ten. So, if if you finish the race, you've done incredibly well. If you, if you if you break a record, that's pretty much out there. I don't think I don't think we would aim for that. We would look to finish and win the class. And the field is much bigger as well, which yeah. you know makes it interesting. But because you have boats from coming across from England, obviously you've got the French boats, you've got the Jersey boats. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah the fr- French French clubs are fairly fairly used to this sort of these sort of conditions, so they like rowing in it too. The French Federation governs coastal rowing or offshore rowing as well as sort of Olympic um, 2K races. So they have a, a much broader net. And you come up with uh, very, see a lot of skilled rowers out on the water from France. Am I right in saying that coastal rowing is going to be in the Olympics? Is that yeah. uh, from 24? Uh, I mean, is that is that something that, I mean, it's a couple of years out, but that, that will drive, you know, drive participation locally or, you know, even, is that is it that beyond the realms of possibility that we'll have rowers one day that could, could get there? Uh, I think I think it's a great selling point for rowing. 
um, we, we're sort of looking into expanding uh, rowing, making it more accessible to everybody, right the way down to to children in schools, um, and to encourage people or for people to have an aspiration. If you if we can say actually you could end up going to the Olympics, or you know you may even get a scholarship. Who knows to one of the Oxbridge universities. Um, yeah, I think I think it, it's a nice thing to have uh, from a recruitment point of view. Whether we'll end up providing some of British rowers, that'd be great. Um, I think, you know, over the years, there's, there have been rowers in Guernsey that have, could have, at the right age, have qualified for British rowing. Um, so to say it's, it's uh, inaccessible is completely wrong. I think we should be able to provide something, somebody, over the next few years. And you, you've obviously spoken about the, the, the challenging conditions that we experience around, around the islands. Is that something that, you know, that makes it or makes us a good sort of breeding ground for, for good coastal rowers beyond, you know, what I suppose what, um, what rowers elsewhere might experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we purposely go out to look for choppy water to row in because if you can row in choppy water, you can certainly row in flat water. But we'd all love flat water 24-7. Unlike the sailors, we want to go out when it's flat calm, whereas the sailors want to go out when it's breezy or uh, chalk and cheese. But yeah, I think if you can row in the, in the, in the rough, and it is, it is a, a unique skill to itself, but if you can do that, you can, you can do anything. And Liz, what's your view about the health of the sport at the moment locally? Um, yeah, how, how is it evolving? Is it growing? I think we're, we're trying to um, to start to increase participation again. It's We've been hit quite hard the last couple of years with obviously the COVID situation. Um, this year, COVID hit just when we were going to launch all our Have A Go Rose. So we managed to get, I think, two in before the start of the season. And that's meant that we haven't really got all of our quads that we can lend out we've got four sort of quads and several pairs that we can lend out to novice rowers um, and they haven't all been taken up purely because we haven't really been able to do all the have a go rows but I think you know as a committee we do want to see the participation of the sport grow especially maybe the get some younger people involved that can um, like you say you know, have potential to maybe go further afield and row in bigger competitions. Is, is that crucial that, that people just get that taste, even if it's for one morning or a couple of hours, that, that actually you find people really take to it quite quickly if, if, you know, if, they've, if it sort of catches their spirit, I guess? Yeah, I, I think, I think um, once you're out in the water, it's, it's a very strange environment to be in because you've never been out there and all of a sudden you realise that your, your little legs can power a boat forward and then you can go anywhere you want. So it is a it is a, a missed opportunity if you don't take take have a go at it. Yeah, and I would say I don't think I've ever seen really anybody come out of the boat and not enjoy it. Um, but I think there's many aspects to it as a sport. I don't think I've ever done a sport that is so both physically and mentally grueling. Um, and I guess if that's what you like, I think most people can see the fun in it, but, you know, to them participate in it further, I think you probably have to, you know, want to challenge yourself both mentally and physically to do it. Yeah, technically it's quite, there's, there's a lot to it. I suppose it's like you, you pull a thread and then you realise, oh, there's a lot more technique to learn and then you, you learn that technique and then you realise there's even more technique behind that and it just builds and builds and builds. It's the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that, that's your, your instruction in the boat when things get really tough. <laughs> and then bottom lips come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the whole topic of being a cox, 
Um, I understand that you've been around for a while and like you're really experienced and I've heard good things about you. Um, yeah, personally, what is it that you enjoy so much about playing that specific role within the crew? The fact that you, because a, a part of being a cox um, or, or a halfway decent cox is the ability to, to coach your crew um, and to pick up on bits where you know people can improve on. Um, and the fact that Liz's crew um, are, are they're like a sponge, they just want to learn and learn and learn, um, which, is, which is really great. It's very rewarding for a cox to see things that you said actually come out in the middle of a race and you realize actually people are really commenting on how how tight they are and how good their blade work is um, even though it's not me putting the blades in I, st I like to stand in the corner and listen to that and have a smile so that that's where I get my reward from uh, you know coaching wise it's it's been amazing actually so I, I think all of us have learned so much um, like you say I don't think you can there's always something you can work on. There's always something you can improve on. And I think you just keep finding more and more things. Not that saying <laughs> that we can improve on, <laughs> which is yeah. good. Yeah, no, never let it be said that I'm not difficult. <laughs> Actually, I do want to sort of go back to that 2019 Sark to Jersey. I understand you've kind of maintained around half the, qu the crew. I understand you've lost Martine and Ilza. Yeah. But you've got... Well, just for the record, they did make it home. You've had another couple good rows in. I just want you to go back and like fully reflect on that race. I know it wasn't the ideal conditions, and maybe just what else you learnt from that, that being your maiden attempt as like a woman's quad to go for a really fast time and potentially get the record. I mean, I think probably looking back on that race, um, Although I think we were all really pleased with it. We didn't have that much time, like, to train for that. We kind of got together, you know, the season had already started, Martina and Ilsa were rowing pairs, and we just formed this fours for the Sark to Jersey race. Um, so realistically, we didn't have as much time to prepare as you maybe would want to. Um, but... I think, given the conditions on the day, because I found them really hard, as I think probably everybody did, it was quite a choppy race. Um, I think we were all really pleased with our time. Um, I think we had other aspirations as well, which maybe we didn't quite achieve. But I think, yeah, I think we had a good race. But obviously now rowing together all the time as a crew, um, yeah, what has that done for your morale leading up to this year's event? I think that's where you realise that actually just rowing together plays a massive part in, in it. Um, because I think we've really gelled as a crew. We Obviously, we formed last year. And you don't know how you're going to do, you know, when you get into a boat with four. It doesn't matter if those rowers are all really good rowers, you know, on their own or in their own right. You put them together and it, they just might not gel. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's taught me that just rowing together and training um, and good coaching, um, you know, really makes such a big difference. Yeah, well, thanks very much for, for coming in. Best of luck this weekend. And, and hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back when you've broken that record. Oh, uh, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> thanks, Robbins. Well, no pressure. No. <laughs> the, key, the key is never say you wanted to break records or yeah. win races because you're only going to let yourself down. But, uh, I, we'll do our best. Well, we wish you all yeah. the best. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Liz Bozier and Neil Brennan there. 
In a moment, we're going to talk about a true great of Ireland squash who sadly died last month, John Lelever. Uh, but Rob, uh, rowing is also mourning the loss of a local legend. Yeah, um, Rob Snipgeel has um, passed away, sadly. Um, Rob was involved in the very first Sark to Jersey um, back in 1967. And by the time he'd finished, he'd clocked up 31 Sark to Jersey races, mainly as a, a singles rower or as a pair. Um, but he's also most notable for reforming the Guernsey Rowing Club back in 1973 with Brian Staples, another stalwart of the rowing scene. Snipgill was a very, very tough rower um, and um, competed in the very first um, Sarkis jersey with Pete Henley and um, finished runners-up, actually. And they were... The unusual thing about the, um, Snip and, and the Pete Henley combination is that I gather that Pete Henley's family lived in the Isle of Wight and then from time to time Rob and Pete were want to actually row to the Isle of Wight to see <laughs> to see to see them, which is um, yeah quite a row. Um, no, but he was um, a, a great of the, the of the rowing scene in the back in the fixed seat days and um, a real store that would be madly missed. It's been a pretty terrible um, last few weeks for sport. We know we'd already lost Scott Bradford um, and I see now John Lever um, sadly passed away. He was a, you know, a legend in Guernsey squash. Um, he sort of set the path for what all the success that Guernsey had back in the 1980s with Martin and Lisa. He, John was the first one to go off to the UK, was based himself in Nottingham, which became a real um, hotbed for the Guernsey players. Um, Jason Nicole went there as well. Um, hugely respected in the British game, won 16 caps for England in uh, and um, was, you know, a top, top player. Um, he even got to beat Jahangir Khan, who dominated um, squash in the 1980s, the, you know, the top Pakistani. And then he came back to Guernsey, um, set up home, and he became he was a, a very good golfer, but he also got involved in the Hair Tech Masters, which was designed to, to try and revive um, Guernsey squash, um, which was starting to slide away, um, even by then. And um, he was a wonderful ch ch chap named John. You know, great all-round sportsman. It's often forgotten that he actually played cricket for Guernsey as well um, while he was still at Elizabeth College. Um, he was an opening bat, scored a, a large number of runs in his final year at the, at the college under Tony Taylor and was selected to play at, for the Full Island side at FB Fields as a second spinner to Warren Barrett because at that time Jersey were terrified of um, Warren Barrett and, and also just couldn't play spin. And that day um, Warren took five wickets as he often did against the, um, the Crappos and um, John got four overs, took one for 16 and Guernsey went on to their best ever victory in inter-cricket, inter cricket, knocking off the runs without loss, lose, losing a wicket. And um, I'll say he was a very fine player. He played for Rovers at that time, and later years when he came back to the island, he played a little bit for Kobo. Um, fine golfer, on the fringes of the island golf team for quite a few years as a three or four handicap. Um, and it's often forgotten that he actually tried to, um, well, and succeeded, he um, took up playing golf left-handed as well and took his handicap down to 12, which was pretty pretty decent. Um, but I'll remember John as, a, as just a superb human being, no ego at all, but really gentle guy. Um, and he was, I say, he was hugely respected in world squash, became pre chairman of the world 
um, Players Squash Association for a short period. And I know a lot of people in the UK um, squash scene are very, very sad to hear his, his passing. Yeah, and of course he was um, inducted into Guernsey Sporting Hall of Fame a few years ago. And you, you mentioned that, that glorious era of Guernsey squash that he clearly played such a big part in ushering in. Yeah, he's probably, you know, I, I, whether he was the Guernsey's finest ever squash player is debatable. Um, he, you know, it may well be that Jason Nicholl had slight slight edge on him. That's rather here that here or there. Um, but I'm pretty sure if it hadn't been for John making that move into the UK and sh- and showing what was capable, what Guernsey people were capable of, we wouldn't have seen Jason, Chris Simpson, Martin, and Lisa achieve what they did. He was the number one. Thanks, Rob. Well, of course, our thoughts uh, are with John and Snip's family and friends uh, at this time. Now, before we wrap up, let's have a, a quick look ahead to what's coming up. Uh, Gareth, I think you're following junior. Ireland golf finals? I am, yes. Three weekends on the trot. It's been Lancrest for Ireland Championship finals. Um, last week, we had Veronica Bugor winning her 19th women's title, which is just an amazing achievement. And she's still she's still going strong, Veron. She's um, still a very popular character, and she's still the best player in terms of handicap as well as um, in the match play. So... Um, this weekend, we've got um, the two McKenna boys, uh, Connor and Rory, going head-to-head in the junior boys final. Um, if you went on form, you'd probably arguably say Connor is, might even be favourite. He's playing so well at the moment. He's the younger of the two. Um, handicap-wise, Rory is still... Um, he would be the considered the, the better player in those terms. So I think that's going to be a really tough one to, to pick between the two, actually. And uh, I think that will have a decent following as well. Um, in the girls' final, Jenny Ballet, who um, broke 80 for the first time this week, so well done to her, um, is up against Chloe Domal, who's the um, Royal Guernsey junior captain this year. And um, she's been playing well recently as well. So I think there's a couple of very good finals to look forward to on Sunday. And what, what do you make of the standard... Um you know, of, of those junior tournaments compared to some sort of recent years? Well, I think it's sort of typical of Guernsey sport in that um, when you get a couple of the same age who are interested, they drive each other on. I mean, it's, it's very funny. I thought walking up on... Um, on Tuesday afternoon to see the boys' semi-finals, and Rory had uh, Oli Chedom on his bag, which I think is quite funny. The defending champion Oli didn't enter this year because he's, he's going to be off Ireland when the CI finals come around, so um, uh, he's he's not defending his title. But Rory and Oli are obviously very good friends. Connor's good friends with them. There's a couple of other juniors around. Jaden Tutnot is doing um, particularly well at the moment as well. And just having sort of each other there to spur each, to spur themselves on, it um, it's only helps improve the standard. And the girls, I mean, the, uh, Jenny and Chloe have got to the final. Chloe Godion's also um, playing very well at the moment. And uh, Lily McNeela. Um, so there's a good sort of bunch of juniors all pushing themselves to get better at the moment. And that's sort of tends what happens, especially in golf. There's They sort of come in sort of generation cycles, really. But it's looking pretty promising now. Um, it's high time somebody came along to um, depose uh, Veronica. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I mean, when I started the paper many, many years ago, Veronica was winning uh, Ireland titles back then. You know, it was probably third or fourth Ireland titles. Um, she's been a remarkable player over the years. Great, you know great technician um, lovely style about her and uh, was clearly the best player we've had um, until Amy Ponter came along of course and it's about to, you know it'd be good to see another young girl come along and and challenge um, Veronica I'm sure <laughs> Veronica would be delighted if um, somebody else came along to, to 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 dominate because it's not it's not you know it doesn't show the sport up to be too too strong when you've got somebody winning so many titles 
um, for so over such a long period. Um, talking of people who dominate, I mean Veronica's 19 titles has been outweighed this by um, by Trevor Gullion in the bar billiards world. He told me this morning that he's uh, just clinched his 23rd Ireland bar billiards <laughs> title. And it was to be fair to, to the guy, it was a remarkable, remarkable match against Paul Dyer this week at the West Legion. A two-frame shootout. Paul Dyer went in there first and took the took the first break and cleaned out the table with a fantastic 14,750 break, which really put that the... Sounds a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> you know, normally I get to about 25 and then manage to knock the pin down and that's it, me done. But, um, no, that really put the pressure on Trevor, um, who couldn't afford to make a mistake and didn't. He played the table out as well and wrapped up 15,700 to win the title again. Um, a remarkable achievement, really. Am I right saying that, that Trevor's been a world champion in bar billiards as well? Yeah. He has. He's been a world champion of bar billiards. He's um, um great shove-eight-me player of, of many, <laughs> many years. Perhaps an island champion there as well. And, of course, um, a very average cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> I could say that being an old school mate. <laughs> and, Rob, where are you going to be this weekend? Um, guess where? <laughs> Football again, football again, Jeremy Cup final. Um, let's hope it's a good game. Um, I think it will be. I think Rovers will um, really push Saints um, on Saturday and it'd be good to see Rovers win, you know, potentially win the, their first ever Jeremy. Um, um, they've, you know, they've, apart from winning the league in recent times, they've pushed for a few cups, but um, will they do it? I'm not really so sure. I just, if you look at Saints, they really have got the bit between the teeth and... Uh, they're not taking any prisoners at all at the moment. They'll have Ben Coulter back um, uh, for his last game, I gather, before he he heads off to Australia. And um, and with Jamie Dodd at the back there, I think it will be very, very tough for Rovers to get a result there. But you never know, if Finn and Carlos click, um, they could possibly... Perhaps pull it off. And that's an afternoon kickoff at the track? It is indeed, yep. Yeah. 2.30 kickoff. No, sorry, 2 o'clock kickoff as usual. Brilliant. I'll be down there filming that one. So, uh, yeah, watch out for some highlights via the uh, Guernsey Press Sport channels uh, at the weekend. Anything else? There's more cricket on Saturday as well. The weekend championship. Um, Kobo are playing Wanderers Irregulars at the KG5 and uh, OEA uh, up against Griffins at uh, the college field. So um, probably a decent bet that Matt Stokes might score a few runs considering he, he does every time he goes out to bat at the moment. So um, that could be an interesting one up at the college field. Oh, fantastic. Well, hope, uh, hopefully the sun is shining for all of that. Uh, thanks very much, chaps. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with the final football pod of the season. Do follow us on social media at GSY Press Sport on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram and do pick up a paper as well. Uh, otherwise, take care and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers, man.